Welcome back to another episode of The Gentleman Ultra. It's been a little while and we apologise for that profusely. Uh, we've been away with work, travel, various different things, but there's no excuses. So we've looked at doing a few more episodes now, so you'll have a lot more regular content. These are going to be almost bite-sized episodes, so we'll still have the long hour-long ones. And we'll also have quick snippets of well, 30, 20 minutes just to keep the content regular. And um, today I am joined by Luca Hodges-Ramon. How are you doing, Luca? You okay? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, glad to be back recording with yourself. Um, shame, shame Neil can't join us, but it's difficult when you're trying to coordinate um, three different time zones um, with very busy schedules. So looking forward to this to this 30 minutes ahead. Yeah, definitely. And... I was saying before, you know, just just before we got onto here, that maybe sometimes it's uh, time passes too quickly. It might be my old age that um, is certainly um, making us think we've done one <laughs> sooner than we had. So, talking of old age, we um, we were looking at this uh, article that's um, featured on the Guardian Sports and on our own site, the Gentleman Ultra, an article by uh, Ramis Nathan called "Age is Just a Number" and inspired by Fabio Quagliarella when he broke the uh, goal-scoring record game of, sorry, the goal-scoring record of scoring in 11 consecutive games for Sampdoria, um, set by Gabriel Batistuta back in 94-95. Um, he started to, to wonder about this phenomenon that really is relevant mainly to Italy of goal scorers that seem to breach the 30-year mark and and suddenly either continue to be brilliant or in many options, in many cases, sorry, actually start to be brilliant back then. So, I mean, Luca, is this something that you think is just relevant to Italy? Um, I think there's certainly a trend, as you said, um, in Serie A and Italian football of players in various positions being able to play well into the twilight years of their career and, and not just... Um, and not just plug gaps, but really compete and actually excel well into their mid-30s and, and late-30s. Um, and goal scorers seems to be a particularly... Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, it's, it's, it's very common to see in, in Italy goal scorers of, of veteran goal scorers, if you like, scoring and, and outperforming what they were doing before in, in their 20s. Often they, they hit these purple patches um, when they turn 30 and actually in, in many cases um, where they may have previously been posting quite average numbers, they, um, they go on to have some of the best spells in their career. And whether that be just because they're wiser and as a striker, knowing the game, um, when to, to make your runs, uh, being a bit more cunning and, and, and wise in the box can sometimes help. But I think there's certainly a trend with goal scorers in Italy. Um, and you see that with someone like Qualiarella, who um, Ramez used as his kind of example to inspire the article, that uh, he's always been a, a scorer of great goals and spectacular goals. I think Ramez says in the, in the article how you can look up his YouTube compilations of his volleys, bicycle kicks, back heels. And he, you know, he rivals the, the greats like Ibrahimovic in that sense. But it's only in the last two seasons that he's become a great goal scorer or con a consistent goal scorer. Um, and this year he could potentially hit the 20 goal mark for the first time in his career, which is an incredible achievement at 36 years old. Yeah, I think, yeah, two things on that. I think that obviously in Quagliarella's case, when he has scored those amazing goals, 
um, you know, maybe not consistently. Uh, you know, that's always been a trait of his. But when you have that situation where, I mean, Italy is falsely now, obviously known as, uh, still unfortunately known as a, a slowly, but it certainly is a tactical one. I don't think that's gone away from it. And maybe, as you say, that you know, the more, the longer the, these these players play in the division, um, the, the more they, they learn, the more they realise how they can manipulate defences, etc. But it is still quite a phenomenon. And I've, what I want to do with this is I want to just go through this list that uh, the Remas has put on here uh, of players who either are consistently still doing it or have done that. And and just throughout this, just I, Luca, I want to know who your main favourite one out of all of these are, because I've certainly got mine. Who do you think the best one after 30 was? And then also afterwards, opening up to the listeners and, and also on our, our Twitter page, I want to put something out there One as well because the list is massive. So let's just start from here. So first of all, we've got, and this is uh, the list that you can read on The Guardian Sport, you've got Ed Ingeco. Ed Ingeco, obviously at Roma at the moment, um, has come over to Syria and is still now. I mean, you can see him week in, week out, still performing fantastically well uh, in in the Eternal City. Um, another one here, an old favourite of mine as well, is Marco Di Vaio. Marco Di Vaio, of course, who uh, the Roman-born striker who played for Parma, Bologna when he came back in his uh, his career. That was the one after being abroad with Valencia. Um, Monaco as well, that he came back and really started scoring for the Rosso Blue. Another one who maybe now this is this is one where you know he did he did score uh, goals when he when he came back to Italy. Uh, Massimo Macaroni, who a lot of uh, English listeners will know as well. But you know, was he really the one? Of, does he class in that same league as the, the players have been talking about? We've also got Fabrizio Fabrizio Micheli. The fantastic Nicoli, who uh, another one in some respects, you could say a score of spectacular goals, as well as obviously starting to score consistently in his latter years. Uh, just an absolutely spectacular character. Then you've got Diego Melito, Inter's Diego Melito from the treble winning season. That's a nice, uh, nice one for you, that Richard. You're looking forward to reading that one out, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Do you know, it's it's Diego, we'll come back probably to this later, but Diego Melito for me is a funny one because it doesn't feel like when he was scoring all those goals for Inter, how old he was. Mm. You know, for me, if you think back at Diego Melito, yes, he was at the last stage of his career, but the way he was playing, he's playing like a 28 year old, 26 year old. It's incredible that he was, you know, oh. he's still 33. It sure, was, um, the, way, the way he took that Bayern Munich defence apart in the Champions League final in, in 2010. Um, yeah, belied his age very much the way he was um, beating defenders both with his trickery but also just a, a very kind of deceptive turn of pace over five, ten yards to get away from his from his man. It was an incredible um, individual performance in that final. Yeah, there he was. He, and he just did the sharpness, like you say, you know, tactical awareness, the sharpness and and he was he was absolutely lethal. And, you know, this is the guy who's playing 90 minutes a lot of the time, week in, week out. It's just incredible. And as much as I'd like to talk about Inter for a bit longer, I'm just going to move this on a little bit. Move swiftly on, Richard. Move swiftly Yeah, I did, I did say it was bite-sized. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony Christmas, Antonio Di Natale. Uh, obviously, Udinese, um, fantastic player. 
and probably one of the greatest examples of players after 30 just producing superb performances week in, week out. Then there's Alessandro Del Piero, you know, the, after his injury, how well did he come back for Juventus and um, was just, I mean, he's iconic, absolutely iconic uh, in, in, that, in that black and white shirt. You know, darling of Turin in a sense and, you know, continued doing it right to the end. And then topical, I suppose, with the um, the Rome derby on our doorstep this weekend is Francesco Totti, of course. You know, I mean, what player could still do it at that level, at that consistency and in those big games as much as uh, as much as Totti? And then an old favourite, which we've spoken about on this pod before, is Dario Hubner. Il Bisonte, um, the bison. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 35, <laughs> Vicenza. Top goal scorer in Serie A. That's mental. I mean, you just, that that's incredible. Uh, just absolutely. And for a provincial team, you know, this is not not 35 year, years old being supplied by one of the great Milan or Juventus midfields at the time. You know, it's incredible. Yeah, I'd say the, the ultimate provincial striker, I'd, I'd say that it, I hope now. Yeah, I think so. He's just incredible career. Oliver Beerhoff, another one. You know, I mean, Often, I think Beerhoff sometimes forgotten about a little bit because he was such a consistent goal scorer and had such ability in all manner, whether it was with his head. He's quite good with the ball at his feet. You know, he was very, very clinical, but there's a lot of players around in that in that league at the time that probably outshone him. Um, but yeah, mm, the fan, yeah, fantastic. Part of that unbelievable Zaccheroni Udinese side as well. Which Absolutely, is a wonderful side in the late nineties who came third. Yeah. That they really was superb that side, wasn't it? It was um, fantastic. And then Luca Toni, and this one obviously, two thousand and thirteen, fourteen. You know, it's hit twenty goals with again. You know, it's with Hellas Verona. It's 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 uh, sorry, twenty two goals. Incredible, absolutely incredible. And Luca Toni, you know, is one of those players where. He just felt like no matter where he went and who he played for, he just consistently did the same thing. So, Luca, that's the list. I mean, we've just touched base on a few of them, but which one or two stand out? And if you had to pick one, I mean, would it be from that list? Or is there someone you can think that's the, the if you were to embody that golden, you know, golden years footballer who can compete at the top level and consistently score goals at that age? Who's it be? Who's it going to be? Yes, I mean it's such a tough question because um, each one of those forwards, as you you read out there in their own right, um, achieved incredible things beyond beyond their thirties. Um, and I'm sure we'll go through a number of names after after we've had this initial discussion about who made the article and who made the list. Uh, names who didn't make the list, which will further underline our point about Italy being a, a sort of haven for. For veteran goal scorers who find a way to, yeah, who become, I guess, more astute in their old age and, and, and look just as sharper or perhaps sharper than when they're in their 20s. But I think from this list, I can narrow it down to two or three, perhaps. Um, and I'll, I'll go for the less glamorous, perhaps, names. Obviously, Totti and Del Piero um, are legends of, of Italian football in their own right and, and won titles, uh, represented the national team. Um, and legends for their respective clubs due to their, to their kind of service to their respective clubs over over the years. But um, Antonio Di Natale, 
I think, as you kind of hinted at, Richard really epitomises the striker who really came into his own and achieved extraordinary things um, well into his 30s. Uh, I think Ramirez writes about the fact that quite incredibly he scored 163 goals after he turned 30, um, which is a remarkable achievement considering he again played for a provincial side. He played for Udinese, who have always been run on a very tight budget, um, a very well-run club, but um, won't ever bring in players, you know, superstar players around Di Natale who would maybe, in, you know, in a bigger side. Again, it's an argument of whether Di Natale would, would thrive as well in a bigger side with, with players around him who could give him more service. But then again, you, you, you kind of take him out of that um, that environment in which he, he feels so comfortable in and thrives in. Um, but, you know, even even what he achieved for Udinese, um, you know, finishing Capo Canonier uh, between 2009 and 2011, two consecutive times. So he was aged 32 to 34 then. And he scores two consecutive seasons, 29 and 28 goals, um, which is incredible. Helping Udinese qualify for the, um, you know, the, the preliminary Champions League phase twice, um, for a club like Udinese, that's an incredible achievement. So I think Di Natale probably edges it as, as number one on that list if you're looking at purely what what's forward achieved in his 30s uh, and, and what it meant to the club. Um, but beyond that, yeah, you know, Hubner again and, and Luca Toni both having that record of becoming the oldest capo cannoniere um, at 35 and 36 respectively. Um competing with with some of the great forwards. So, you know, you had Luca Toni, who was level with Mauro Icardi of Inter, who I think if he stays at Inter, and that's another podcast and another conversation, um, will go on to become one of the all-time Serie A top goal scorers. Um, and, and Hubner was playing in an era where you had, you know, the likes of David Trezeguet for Juventus. Um, you had Ronaldo at Inter. You had... Um, you know, you just had a wealth of, of strikers, Hernan Crespo in, in Serie A, who were, who were elite, who were considered elite, and he was competing with, with them. Yeah, it's, it, it's so hard. I think with the, the Di Natale, especially, it's very hard to argue against that. It, it, he's, he was, he really was one of the best. And I think that in that Udinese side, there was some, as you said, it was, yes, it's a well-run club, but, it, but they had some fantastic players and squads like when Handanovic and Sanchez, etc., were in there. But there was also, towards the end, squads that weren't as good and he consistently performed. But I'm going to throw out, I'm going to throw out a different opinion on that one. I'm going to throw out Luca, Luca Toni, as you mentioned. Because for me, you know, this guy, there's a couple of reasons. One, the fact that the number of clubs that he manages to, to do this with. And, you know, you, you look at Inter City Ave when he starts out and you've got... From Vicenza to Brescia, um, you know, he's, he's scoring goals for, for both of these teams. Then, of course, I think a lot of people remember him at that, that, that Palermo team, uh, 2003 to 2005. You know, not just 50 goals in that, in that time period for Palermo. And yeah, that was a good side at the time. But still, it's an incredible feat. And then he goes to Fiorentina. And, you know, 31 in 38 in 2005, 2006. It's, it's brilliant. And this for me as well, I think Luca Tony sort of embodies that old school striker. I think you could put him back two decades and he would just look exactly the same. You know, he just, he'd fit that, he'd fit any style. 
and he transcends almost that late 90s era all the way through to me in what City are through Calciopoli and beyond that um, and to come out the other side and play for the likes of obviously Bayern Munich as well and go and perform in another league and score goals admittedly you know I mean one exceptional season at Bayern one not bad at all and then coming back and, and you know he comes back from 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 Munich and still manages to okay doesn't really do too much at Roma in Genoa and um, I mean he nearly wins a Scudetto with Roma though that being said yeah they get yeah. so close to, to pipping uh, Mourinho's into that season I remember they certainly did <laughs> well, forget that. but it's um, you know you're looking at that situation where for me this is the bit that maybe just clinches it because it does look like he's tailing off in, the, in those years you know he only scores three at Genoa the, the Aventus um, outing, should we say, doesn't really work. And he disappears off to the UAE Pro League with Al-Nazar. And you're thinking, that's it, he's gone. But to come back after that and sort of have a decent spell with Fiorentina, but then to go to Hellas in the absolute latter stages of your career, and as you say, to, to get joint top scorer of Mauro Cardi and 20 goals a season before, I just think it's incredible. And mm. you know, a player as well who we've all... Never needed pace, and I know that's not a, a huge part of it, but it, he was just one of these players who tactically was so intelligent, and it, it just felt like whoever, whoever had him was just had a massive asset. Um, hugely. Um, no, yeah, it's hard to argue Luca Tony as well, and he'll always be numero uno, uh, <laughs> as the song goes. But yeah, no, for sure. I think, I think the other great thing about this article and why it's so so great to have it on the site is it so beautifully captures what what we love talking about in the sense that these forwards all um, kind of sit across different eras played in iconic sides that we all remember and whether that be the early 2000s the late 90s and through to through to today with with the likes of Edin Dzeko and Totti who recently retired but you know people like Mikoli, who played in that wonderful Palermo side, who nearly qualified for the Champions League. Um, Bierhoff, who played, as we mentioned, in Zaccheroni's Udinese side. Hupner, who was playing um, for Brescia, for Piacenza. Um, Tony, as you said, played in some, some wonderful sides over the years. Um, Del Piero, obviously, at, at Juventus, played with a number of, in a number of brilliant Juventus sides and also the, the, the Juve side, who, who had to go down to Serie B and, and endure... Um, the purgatory of Serie B for a season um, and even you know like the likes of Massimo Macarone who as you said maybe in terms of the numbers he posted when he was 30 wasn't quite as impressive uh, in terms of hitting the 20s but coming into the side helping Empoli get mm. back into Serie A scoring at 13 goals in the 15-16 campaign at, at age 36 which helps keep Empoli up very comfortably um, you know, he's an icon at Empoli now for that. And so you have a mixture of your kind of provincial forwards who who are club icons, your your iconic names such as Del Piero and Milito and Totti. So I think uh, the article brilliantly captures what the site's about and the iconic uh, nature of different teams and different blends of players and different styles of players. So I think that's why it's a, it's a particularly brilliant article. No, you're right. And I think, I think as well, what, What's good about it in the, like you're saying, how it relates to 
everyone's memories, which is what obviously the site's always trying to be about, that bit of nostalgia, but everyone has a different period and memories of, of these players. And there's probably so many. I mean, we only tweeted this out just before recording properly. And already you can see people sort of saying, what about him? And have you not mentioned him? And uh, I know Mark Neal of this parish uh, quickly got on the Igor Protty boat. Uh, and he's got a point, you know, and straight away you think that's a great, great point. Uh, plenty you know, of Livorno, didn't he, past his, past his 30s? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's so many more. I mean, you know, I mean, straight away, what age did uh, Pippo Inzaghi play up till? You know, still. Yeah, was, uh, Inzaghi, I, look, I looked at Inzaghi and he, you know, he wasn't. Um, Interesting one about Inzaghi, he was consistently a goal scorer, but he doesn't post, he doesn't always post the numbers you'd think he'd be posting. But, but I looked at Inzaghi and post 30, he, he hit over kind of 10 goals um, two or three times with some incredible Milan sides. So again, his name's worth worth a mention. Um, and yeah, Igor Prati's a great shout from Mark Neal. Um, I think some of the some of the names I wrote down when I when I started thinking about this, I had um Obviously, we had Roberto Baggio, a few players, people, sorry, on Twitter, um, calling for Roberto Baggio and his contribution to Brescia. Yeah. Um, he scored, I think, it was something like, almost, he had an almost one in two ratio at Brescia, something like 40-odd goals in, in nine games. Um, I thought Paolo Poggi at Venezia, um, he wasn't, mm. again, as prolific, but a, a, a kind of iconic name, especially during that late 90s, early 2000s era. Um, Signori at Bologna. That was the one. That was, there was well, there's two. There was two, but that was one I was going to yeah. mention. I'll let you talk about Signori because I know you've got a real soft spot for, for Beppe. Um, <laughs> Vieri for Inter. Um, you know, he scores, I think, twice he hits double figures in, into his 30s. Um, and then, of course, Batigol and Batistuta when he goes to Rome and wins the Scudetto is, is, I think he's 30 when he wins the Scudetto at Roma, isn't he? So, and yeah. that season he had contributing to that, that title win. Or is he 30 or 31? And I mean, we've, we're missing out on other names. I don't know. Miroslav Closer? Closer, yes, yeah, a great shout. That's a great, funny enough, given it's a derby weekend, I was watching um, some of the great kind of a uh, compilation on YouTube of some of the great derby games. And I forgot how many times Closer popped up in those derby games late on to score crucial goals. I mean, if, if Del Vecchio was a scourge of Lazio, then Closer was definitely the scourge of Roma later down the line because um, he would always turn up in those yeah. games. I don't know how old he was when they were in the Coppa Italia, but it was, uh, it was, he was superb. I, I'm sure, I can't remember, we'll have to look up what age he came over to, to Lazio at, but I just remember him coming over and, you know, again, he's, he's that player of the sort of Luca Toni-esque type, you know, not stature or build as such, but he was a lot, a lot slimmer in that way. But he just seemed to have that power and that ability in front of the goal that just made him absolutely lethal. But yeah, there's, there's so many. I mean, you touched on on Signori, Signori, um, just for me, fantastic. I mean, 66 goals in his uh, time at Bologna in 142 games may not sound spectacular, but you know, it was right at the end of his career, and after he'd already done the same things with with Foggia and, and Lazio, of course, and. That very short spell at Sampdoria as well, but he's um, always liked the stats about Signore that he scored in a record ten consecutive away games, which sort of brings us full circle to Fabio Cogliano, who really, interestingly, you know, we've we've not probably talked about enough. But uh, just on that, Luca, just I think we should 
certainly and say to anyone who's listening or on, on Twitter that we need to, you know, we, we welcome the suggestions because not only does it make us think about this list, but it also gives us more ideas for other articles and other lists. And, and more than anything, it just brings back the memories. But that's something that they can, you can do on our Twitter handle and uh, tell us how, how wrong we are. We always appreciate that. But <laughs> We're going to get plenty of that um, as we, we release these lists. I think uh, people... People seem relatively, relatively content with the lists that Ramez have put together. But um, I think when we mentioned about a 1980s team of the team of the 1980s, similar to what we did in the 90s, and that could get very uh, interesting on 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 the Twitter, yeah, the Twitter debating circle. That's good. That, that I think that'll need a little podcast of its own because that sure. is, that's something that's coming up. The team of the 1980s and. Let me tell you, for just it sounds easy, it is not. <laughs> it is not easy to get a list together. It's incredibly difficult. So, but yeah, that'll be coming soon, and we'll see. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I think we'll have some fun with that. But um, just one thing I wanted. Well, a couple of things I wanted to ask you. Obviously, you just mentioned then it's the Derby della Capitale this weekend. It's uh, it's always always an exciting game. I think, especially this time with the. Um, with both Curva Nord and Curva Sud going to be, well, it's gonna, <laughs> no one's walking out as far as we know. No, no one's uh, protesting as such. Um, so there should be some good choreography in that. And both teams as well, you know, fighting for the European spots. Um, what do you think, Luca, of this one? I mean, have they decided a time for this game yet? Yeah, they're playing it Saturday night, are they? They were it supposed will... to, yeah, they were supposed to be, but there's been a lot of debate about the timing of the game. <laughs> Yeah, whether I mean, it's I can't remember the last time a derby was played in the evening. I can't because for me, there's too much. They always so there's too much build up, uh, too much pressure. Both sets of fans waiting for it all day. Obviously, the you know the tendency for drink and everything, everything else, but also it's more the pressure, more the people getting too uh, irate about it, and then obviously it's hard to police at night in some respects as well. So. I'd of course, having a lot of some of the most infamous previous incidents regarding God. the two quarter have, have happened, obviously, in, in, in evening kickoffs. I mean, it is, but I mean, the, the atmosphere, are, are, again, like I said, I was watching um, highlights of old Derby games on YouTube the other day, and the atmosphere is during the evening, you just forget how electric and there's a certain mystique about that atmosphere where they're kind of fog and the smoke descends over and you hear the explosions in the background and the flares and it is something it's something it's a completely different animal to a game which kicks off at kind of two or three in the afternoon and yeah, um, so it'll be interesting it's it's um i'd be interested to see i'd be really surprised if you play it in the evening i mean every every um if you go on the internet and look now whether it's you know the uh, SPM Football Italia, whatever it is, everything's saying it's an evening kickoff. But I, I still would be surprised if that that, especially recently when they've had so much concern about the way the you know, with the perspex, um, what do you call them? Uh, yeah, yeah. So much of that, and so much about the safety, etc. To suddenly do that. But what about the game itself? I mean, both teams going to going for Europe. Um, you got what's your thought process? Are you thinking that it's going to be a El Shawari show with because uh, he's been in good form. We just talked about Jacko. You thinking it's yeah. Roma? Roma got the edge on this. <sighs> so hard, isn't it, to um, to call these games? Uh, and they're both, you know, Roma fifth, Lazio in sixth. 
uh, Lazio the game in hand. So if they were to win, they'd go three points behind Roma with the game in hand. Yeah. Um, it's, it is tough to call. Lazio haven't been on the on the best of form of late. Um, you know, they, they they went crashing out of Europe against Sevilla, lost to Genoa recently. You know, very narrow wins over Frosinone and Empoli. So they're not coming into it in the best of form. But I, I guess it's the old cliche: form goes out the window for the derby. Roma, on the other hand, have started picking up results, grinding results out where they previously. Well, they, they very nearly tried to capitulate against Frosinone, but they, they you know, they, they, they managed to get that late winner through Dzeko. Just seems like they're building a bit of momentum um, to, to really mount an assault on those Champions League places. As you said, El Shadawi has been playing well, the breakthrough of Zaniolo. I think on paper, if you looked at this game, you would make Roma not substantial favourites, but you would make, you'd be quietly confident that yeah. Roma should win this game um, with the attacking threat that they're kind of posing at the moment. I think, look, sometimes these games can be stalemates, but the way both teams have been of late, you wouldn't be surprised if there were a few goals, especially Roma. We know how vulnerable they are at the back, but we know how good they are going forward. Um, so it, it should be an exciting game. Um, I think Roma will view it as a chance to really put Lazio out of the, out of the kind of race for, for the Champions League, at least. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll see it as a, as a chance to kind of, deal, kind of deal a real striking blow to Lazio's chance to qualify for the Champions League. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Roma um, by a narrow scoreline. But, you know, this is always an explosive game. Um, I think... You know, this is the kind of game where Lazio will look at it and say, "This can be the turning point in the season for us, and if we win yeah. this, it sets us up well for the last, for the last, for the running." Um, and I think they need players like Milinkovic Savic, who's had a bit of an indifferent season. They need Luis Alberto. They uh, they have been indifferent this season. That's been that's yeah. been a big problem for them. They need the, they need these players to come to the fore in this game because without them, they do lack that real kind of creative. Um, a 40 class element if you like um, which Roma's, Roma's attacking players have certainly still shown at, at times this season Absolutely I think it is it's difficult for, to call this one as you say because that derby atmosphere could easily get the likes of uh, you know Chido Mobile, Mobley Savic this Alberto to, to really stand up and and be counted in, in these sort of games and uh, it's tough because they've got Fiorentina up next as well you know, so it's a real, real test for them. But Roma, for me, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Like you say, the, the game against Frosinone was, it was really at the death, wasn't it? And one person who I can't make out this season, and as you know, I take a lot of interesting goalkeepers, but Olsen for, for mm. Roma. You know, we've, we've seen the likes of Chesney do so well under the Roma goalkeeping coaches, and then, of course, Alisson. But Olsen, for me, I don't know if it's nerves. I don't know if it's lapse of concentration. But he goes from being absolutely superb to just seeming to switch off. And I'm just really fascinated to see what he's going to be like under these circumstances in the derby. Because the atmosphere, I mean, he'll have seen little like that before. Um, I think he's fascinating. I'm just not sure uh, with this one at all. It's, um, I think, like you say, it's going to be one of those games that, with the atmosphere... It's going to either be a stalemate or an absolute thriller. I hope it's the latter because if it, I, <laughs> I think is though 
after the uh, midweek Coppa Italia game between Atalanta, sorry, Fiorentina and Atalanta, I think everything's going to be dull from now on. But that's, yeah, I mean, that was, that, that's being re- that's another that's on Saturday, I think, or Sunday afternoon, and um, that game again. So it's yeah, like that's it. So, so I think I've got a sneaking feeling for Lazio for the derby. So we'll see, we'll see. But another big game of the weekend. Just before we go, is the game between Napoli and Juventus. What are you thinking about that? I mean, this, this, let me ask you a different question rather than that. Do you think that, obviously, Juventus go out to Atalanta in the Coppa d'Italia? We saw what happened against Atletico Madrid. Um, you know, this whole season was billed as Ronaldo coming in, Benucci back, the team built for now, the whole media marketing campaign, the fans are on board, the, the club is all focused on the Champions League. This was Allegri's season. This is what it was meant to be. They go flying out the blocks in City, which they don't normally do. You know, sometimes they start slowly and start to build up as they get used to the influx of new players that have come in. And, you know, they get to this point now. And, okay, is it 13 points clear um, at at the league? Yeah, okay, it looks like they're going to win the Scudetto still. But there's rumblings about whether Allegri, you know, is he going to fail this season? If he, if he, okay, so he wins the league by 15, 16 points. Is it a failure for Juventus? And they've not played well for a while as well. They've really underperformed in, in Serie A, even though like that narrow win against Bologna, it was, wasn't a good game. Um, if Napoli beat Juventus, are Juventus in a bit of trouble here? And I'm not talking about will they win the Scudetto. I'm just talking about how their season will be viewed as a whole. Yeah, it's a really, that's a really interesting Kind of, kind of, I think um, I think the dimension of what is expected at Juve has obviously changed from the familiar, familiarity of winning the Scudetto. That's now given almost they've got that that's sealed, signed and delivered for this season. Um, but yeah, the Champions League is the last frontier to be conquered. Obviously, that's a massive ask now to go and to go and turn that first leg deficit around against um, Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. Um, so I think, look, we're, I, I actually think Napoli will beat Juventus. Um, I think what Ancelotti's been doing at Napoli, although maybe not, it's, it's been slightly, it's slightly gone under the radar in terms of because Napoli is so far off the pace, um, they haven't managed to put together any sort of title challenge and they did crash out of the Coppa Italia to Milan. But actually, when you look at the way Napoli have played, the togetherness in the, in the camp, the way Ancelotti's been able to use the squad more effectively. I think they're building something for next season. Um, and with Ancelotti at the helm, who will always want to prove a point against Juventus. Uh, and in front of a San Paolo crowd that will be vociferous as ever in that fixture, we know about the, the kind of cultural and, um, and territorial importance of that fixture and background that fixture, a kind of meeting between North v South. Um, I think Napoli will win. Uh, I think it will be a kind of warning sign or a broadside for Napoli in terms of what, what's coming next season. Um, because if you look at Napoli's form recently, since they lost in the Coppa Italia to Milan, um, they've been very good. Um, they've been solid, I'd say. I mean, very good in sense. In sense, that, yeah, they're not playing thrilling football um, in terms of what we, we were seeing under Sari, but. 
They're very solid defensively, and I just think that Ancelotti is slowly building something at Napoli, which, which again, could leave them, much like Sarri did almost at Napoli, could leave them in a position to challenge um, next season. So it's an interesting one. Should Juve, should Juve go out of the Champions League, or if they're not going to win the double again this season? I mean, it's hard to call a season a failure when you win the league at a canter. Yeah. And, and I do feel like that they will, regardless of the result um, against Napoli, because they do just have that ability to keep grinding out results. But I don't know whether Allegri feels like... The thing is, the arrival of Juventus... Uh, sorry, the, the arrival of Ronaldo has just put that added bit of pressure, which, on the one hand, yes, we should be winning the Champions League. On the other hand, tempts Allegri to stay and try and complete the job, if you like, and, and leave on, on, on the ultimate high. Uh, of returning Juventus to the top table of European football. Um, but it's also, there's also unrest among the fans. You know, the, the Cordoba sort of been long protesting now about ticket prices. Yep. Um, so it's, it all isn't well at Juventus. I think there's a, obviously on the, on the surface, yes, they're still dominating in Italy um, and they should do because of the squad that they have. But it is an interesting one. I just feel this game not is not important in the context of this season, but could be important in the in the bigger picture of what happens, especially if Allegri ends up going at the end of the season, um, because then you have that kind of another question mark over the transition of Juventus, whether Napoli would have had one season under Ancelotti, um, and someone who who I think has the potential to really mount a title challenge with that side. Do you think it is a transition for Juve? Because you know you look at the players. Okay, Buffon went last season, but Benucci's not getting any younger now. There's Chiellini, Rezagli. And then uh, they, let, they let Marquisio go. Yeah, I mean, Cristiano, at the end of the day, can't go on forever. I mean, you know, he's still still obviously physically fit enough, but he's not been in form at the moment. But he can, you know, is it? do you think it's, it's going to be, you know, Allegri's going to look at this squad and think, yeah, I, I don't want to have to rebuild this. You know, it's uh, for him, like you say... Could it be one of the final seasons where, either whether it's this season or next, that I mean, arguably, you could say that if Allegri does stay on for another season and doesn't intend to rebuild a squad, is he damaging the future of Juventus by staying? You know, in some respects, because you're like you say there, Napoli have got a bit of a, a leg up on them. But it's bizarre to be speaking about Juventus, I think, in this way, when, I mean, everything seems to have changed so quickly because it was only, you know, it doesn't feel long ago since... We're all talking about the fact of, wow, that Juve are just unstoppable. And now it just seems to have completely flipped just from going out of the Coppa d'Italia. But, and um, more importantly, I suppose, that first leg of the Champions League. But I don't know, it's, it's, it's quite tough. But I think that's why that game against Napoli is going to be just so enthralling this weekend. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, look, look, you know, we could we could be made to eat our words. Juventus could turn it around against Atletico. They went to... to, to yeah. And won three one. I was about to say three 0 If they'd won three 0 they they might have ended up winning the Champions League. And but no, they, they went to Real Madrid and nearly overturned that incredible deficit. So they're not they're not by no means Juventus have the capability to overturn that against Atletico. Yeah, be, it's probably the worst possible team you have to try and overturn a two 0 deficit against. Um, but they certainly have that factor, that fear factor, and with Ronaldo, um, you can never rule them out. So you never know. But yeah, certainly that's, a, I think, what you, you said there about if Allegri were to stay one more year and try and, you know, chase chase the dream of the Champions League with Ronaldo, is that 
damaging in terms of there's no long-term plan. Um, but I think Juventus probably, we know how strategically they are ahead of the game and behind the scenes. They'll be well aware of the fact that a lot of these players need to be replaced with a new generation who, who have that identity um, and that winning mentality. And they have some very good young players um, who maybe just aren't at the moment getting as much of a look in as they would because of this kind of chasing the short-term glory of the Champions League. So it is a very interesting um, couple of years coming up. And I think this game, in particular with what Ancelotti is trying to build at Napoli, could act as a, um, a showcase and an interesting, um, I guess, uh, prequel to what to what is maybe to come in the next year or so. Mm, absolutely. No, I think... Well, maybe that's one for another podcast. <laughs> if Juventus go out the uh, Champions League, maybe we'll do one more on that one. But all good. Well, I'm going to let you go, Luca. And just before I do, um, yeah, just once again, to all the listeners, if you can think of anyone we missed out, please tweet us and get in touch. And uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks, Luca, for, uh, for today. Thanks, Richard. Always a pleasure, mate. And we'll speak soon. Ciao.